Hey, good morning, Transit family. How about that worship this morning? That praise. Woo! Thank you, band. Oh, thank you, Jesus. That was, that was amazing. Um, one of those mornings where you don't want to preach and you just want to praise. Uh, so uh, with that said, if I haven't met you yet, you're new here. Uh, my name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, today we have a handout uh, for the sermon like we've had the past two Sundays. It's in the hallway there, so feel free to grab one. That's going to really help you out because in that handout is a lot more information than I'm going to give you in the sermon. And so if you are a first-time visitor at the church, often from uh, the pulpit here at the Transit Church, we like to go through books of the Bible. And so we've been in Ephesians this whole year, and the past couple of weeks we find ourselves in Ephesians 6, and we've been doing a mini kind of sermon series on spiritual warfare in Ephesians 6. And so it's critically important that you listen to, if you have not listened to the last two sermons, it's critically important that you listen to the first sermon in this series, which is the uh, overview of spiritual warfare, and then the second one, which is the biblical basis for deliverance. Um, and last week, we, if you were here, we talked about Jesus's deliverance ministry. We took time as a church family to look at passages of scripture and see why, uh, how that worked, why Jesus did that, and why he trained and commissioned his followers to do the same. And so today, uh, knowing that last week opened up a, a can of worms for everybody who, uh, this is probably new information and, and and so we wanted to take one Sunday and address common deliverance questions. And so the three questions we're going to be looking at is, one, can Christians be demonized? Two, how, do, how does that work? How do you get a demon? And then if you got one, what do you do about it? Okay, so those are the three that we're going to be looking at. Um, and a couple disclaimers before we dive in. One, if you've been stretched the past couple weeks, this sermon's going to stretch you the most. All right? And you're like, I don't know if I can make it. You can make it one more. And then after that, the rubber band's going to kind of go back to, to normal as we go back into Ephesians 6. Jake is preaching on the armor of God next week. And, and then after that, I'm preaching on prayer. And then mid-October, we're, we're jumping into Jonah. Um, so I'm excited for that. So this will be the last sermon that we are talking about this topic. It's going to stretch you. We're going from broad to specific. I think most of us would agree that uh, followers of Jesus especially if, you, if I hope like through the scriptures and the arguments that were in the handout in the sermon last week that we agree as a body of Christ that this is a good thing that Jesus has given to the church that we need to continue. But then it begs the question, well, how do we do that? And that's what we're talking about today. The second disclaimer um, is this. Uh, I and the elders understand that this might be a totally new concept for you these past uh, couple weeks and um, understand the difficulties to grasp this. And so I just wanted to say that you don't need to be, uh, you don't have to agree with our position on this to be a member in good standing with the church. We as the elders biblically uh, believe that Christians can be demonized and uh, all the other things that I'm going to talk about, uh, we believe and, and Dr. Stan Storms believes that and some other theologians believe that, other pastors, practitioners believe that as uh, well. But you don't have to. Uh, you, our encouragement to you is this, is don't run and flee from this church and be like, oh my gosh, they're heretics. Ah, like I'm scared, you know. Wrestle, stay, wrestle. This is good. Um, you're finally having uh, probably good conversations with each other in community groups or with friends, and, and you're saying, how does this work? I've never talked about this. And so um, this, is, this is good for us. This is in the scriptures. This is what Jesus did, and so now we're talking about it. So don't run, uh, stay, and, and wrestle. Meet up with me. I'd love to, to talk to you and uh, and 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 show you uh, why we believe what we believe, to put it in a nice way. Uh, and then thirdly, my third disclaimer would be this. Today's message, and I promise I'm getting to the sermon, today's message is a brief overview, not a comprehensive guide. You're like, oh, Nick's going to answer 
every single question on deliverance I have today. No, no, no. We'd be here till next Sunday, okay? There's a lot. There's a lot. So I'm doing a flyover. That's why I wanted to give you the handout. Um, it's a brief overview, not a comprehensive guide. But good news is, uh, on sale at the bookstore for 10 bucks. there is a comprehensive guide written by Dr. Sam Storms, okay? And I am drawing heavily in your handout. I'm unabashedly stealing from, like, everything he wrote in this book is in your handout. Um, I didn't necessarily come up with this. It's, it's from this book. And so this is an excellent resource. Um, I am drawing heavily from Dr. Sam Storms. I've read a lot of books on deliverance since October 2019. Um, but the reason I want to, to highlight and to quote and to uh, talk about what Dr. Sam Storms uh, is presenting to us is because that's, a good, that's like a good reference point for us. This is a biblical scholar who was an Acts 29 pastor. We're in the Acts 29 network. He was in our network when he was the lead pastor at Bridgeway. This book is written, it's not self-published, it's published by Zondervan. Uh, we got Wayne Grudem and J.P. Moreland and Matt Chandler uh, endorsing uh, this book. And in this book, Sam Storms believes that Christians can be demonized and that spirits can travel generally, generationally. Grandparents down to parents down to kids. This is what Sam Storms believes. And so that's why I wanted to point you to this resource. Please, please, it's $10.00. We didn't get it at $10. It's a nonprofit. We got it for more than that. You're getting it for $10. This is an excellent resource. Even if you can't read it in the season, it's available now for $10 for you to have. Um, and it's a great resource on spiritual warfare. Probably the resource I would recommend on spiritual warfare. Um, so get that in the bookstore. And in this book, I didn't realize, because I read the first half, all the theology part, but I didn't really read the practitioner part, the latter half of the book, until I was preparing this week. And my mind was blown. Dr. Sam Storms talks about how his wife was demonized for 18 years. Um, they didn't know she was demonized, uh, but she got deliverance. And three, up, like the last three years of that 18 years, up until when she got deliverance, they didn't really know much about it, weren't at a church that was practicing it. Um, she was suffering from these intrusive, intrusive thoughts that were perverse in nature and really intense, really severe to the, to the extent that she was asking God to remove the thoughts or to take her life. She was suicidal. And um, she, he, I can share this because he shares it in the book. Um, and he talks about how his wife got delivered from that, and when the demon left, all those thoughts left as well. And then he has this quote, and this is why I want to share this quote, is because I share the same sentiment with Sam Storms, who uh, I've, I, Jesus has delivered uh, me from a lot of things, and Sam Storms' wife was delivered, and this is what he says. This is why we want to talk about deliverance. We want to, um, yes, be willing to embrace mystery. We don't know how all of this works, but also to clothe ourselves in compassion, that there are people who are suffering and are bound, and that scriptures has, has given us something, a tool that we can use. It's not going to work for everyone because not everyone is demonized, but for those that are demonized, Jesus has given us the gift of deliverance. And this is what Sam Storm says. No, we're not ashamed to talk about deliverance. Oh, what a glorious word. Set free by the mercy and cleansing grace of Jesus. Praise God. I got a new life, and together we got a new marriage. Amen. So uh, intended outcome of this sermon, and then I'm going to dive in. Intended outcome is I want the last two sermons I've wanted to get us on agreement, get us on the same page, or at the very least let you know biblically where I am coming from, where the elders are coming from, from with this topic. Now my hope is to shift our church from agreement to armament, from agreement to armament. The definition, dictionary definition, according to Google, uh, of armament uh, is the process of equipping military forces for war. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12 explicitly states that we are in a battle against an unseen spiritual force of evil, um, and we need to be armored up. So we're going to be talking about that today and talking about that next week, and, and also we need to be equipped. Um, I want to shift us from just agreement uh, 
to ourselves maybe getting delivered, to, to being uh, tools and instruments in our Redeemer's hand to minister to broken people. Because since last Sunday, uh, we've, we've had, I think, 10 uh, people reach out to us. Uh, there's 18 people in the pipeline for our restoration prayer ministry, and we're scheduled all the way, I think, into late October. And so that would take us to, in late October, I think it would take us to 100 uh, prayer appointments just this year alone. So God is on the move. He's doing amazing things. And um, we would love to uh, invite you to prayerfully consider um, reaching out to me, reaching out to Kristen, or saying, hey, how do I get more equipped uh, in this? So that's our hope with this series. Now, let's pray and dive in. Jesus, the only name that we want to talk about. The only name that's worthy of attention, the only name that's worthy of focus is your name. I'm so excited for what you're doing, Jesus. We know that in your scriptures that you didn't ignore the devil. You pressed into these things. You entrusted this to us, Lord. And, and you know in my heart and maybe for some in the room is like, I don't want to talk about the devil anymore. I want to talk about Jesus. And we thank you that that name, Jesus, breaks the shackles of demonic oppression off of people. We thank you that that name transfers people from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And so, Jesus, we focus on you. Would your name be glorified? Would your name be magnified? Would you, Holy Spirit, sweep through this room as I'm preaching? And would you uh, nudge hearts to an invitation to come and, and seek uh, not just a healing or a deliverance, but seek the healer and the deliverer. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come with this, uh, this sermon, more of a, of, of a teaching, Q&A kind of a message, and would you have your way, God? Would you have your way? Would you tear down strongholds in, in the mind that uh, aren't in line with your word? And would you, would you, I'm a man in need of help. Holy Spirit, would you help me to speak only what is true and only what is helpful? And so have your way with our lives, have your way with our hearts, have your way with this church family, and we just give you our hearts and we give you this time, Lord God, have your way, Holy Spirit, amen. All right, let's dive into the waters. They're going to be choppy this morning. Uh, one, can Christians be demonized? Million dollar question. How can a Christian uh, have an indwelling demonic spirit that is oppressing them. And here's the bottom line is that although there isn't a clear, explicit text of scripture that states that a Christian can be demonized, there isn't a verse that says they can't either. And so in your handout, I've given you four uh, common objections the, with the idea that Christians can't have an indwelling demonic spirit. And we're going to look at a, some of those, okay? But objection number one, we're going to jump in here, is the possession objection. The possession objection. The argument goes as follows. Since Jesus Christ possesses, purchased, and owns a believer, a demon can't possess a believer. And my response is, hallelujah, yes, and amen. That's sound, perfect theology. That's great. A demon can't claim ownership of a child of God. Possession is a mistranslation. Uh, from, we got that word from the King James Version of uh, the Bible. Uh, the Greek word is uh, demonatsomai. I think is how you pronounce it. I took Greek, and uh, that's the best I could give you on that one. Um, and... Uh, the key to answering this question about possession versus demonization is understanding that um, we, we, we want to define terms. And when we think of possession, our minds go to, you know, the horror movies we've seen where people are crawling on ceilings and their heads are turning 360 degrees. And we're like, if that's possession, that's impossible for a believer, right? And so when we hear possession, we think full 
and total control. And demonization would be defined not as a demon having full and total control, but having varying degrees of influence over your mind, over your thoughts, over your emotions. That it, that, and then there's a scale. To be demonized doesn't mean you're the garrison demoniac. There's what, we, what the scriptures teach us is that if there's a scale from Mary Magdalene, who had seven, uh, to the garrison demoniac, who had like 7,000, um, there's a scale of demonization. I, heard a, I was reading a commentary where one scholar said, so Mary Magdalene, when Jesus cast seven, that's a symbolic number for the, you know, the perfection of God. I'm like, no, 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 she had seven. Jesus didn't miscount. It wasn't symbolic. Like seven things named themselves, and Jesus said, you're not, you're not going to be in a daughter of God anymore. You're getting evicted, and she got healed up. And with the garrison demoniac, on a scale of one to, to ten, like zero being no demons, one being a demon, quantity and quality of like how many there are and the quality of their power, like garrison demoniac is 9.9, right? He's that crazy guy chained up in the caves, howling, scaring all the village kids. Like, that, yeah, that dude, like, hey, not a doubt. That dude's demonized. Somebody help that guy out. Mary Magdalene, on the other side, maybe, maybe didn't actually know she was demon. We don't know that. Uh, we don't know that. Maybe it was something where, like, hey, I'm, I'm in this lifestyle. I'm having these struggles. I'm wrestling with shame. And then all of a sudden she meets this Jesus, and Jesus routes out the root of those things, right? And so there's a scale there. I hope that makes sense. And so although a demon can't have a... Uh, a Christian possession, a Christian can have a demon or demons, can be demonized is what we believe. And when we hear that, we don't immediately run to the exorcist or to the garrison demoniac. We say that there's a scale. Um, we see that. Okay. I got to move fast. Again, I'm doing a fly over here. Where I'm going to skip over objection number two in your handout, which is the spatial objection, which is, just a side note, if you were to Google some of these, I, I made these titles up. All right. So like, if you're like, oh, the spatial objection, like I have no idea what Google would, would, would uh, send your way. All right. So I'm just, I'm just drawing from Sam Storms and I'm putting titles to some of these objections. Spatial objection is this. Uh, <laughs> the Holy Spirit, just like, you know, uh, like a good basketball player does to a rebound, he just boxes out demons inside of me. Like there ain't no room. There ain't no space. If the Holy Spirit's inside of me, ain't no space for any other spirits. Okay. I have a quote by Sam Storms for you in your handout addressing that. But the, uh, the third objection I, I want to slow down and talk about. This is the most common objection, the, holy, the holiness objection. And the objection uh, uh, to, the, to, the, uh, uh, to the thought that Christians can be demonized is this. How can the Holy Spirit and the evil spirit uh, inhabit the same place? It's like, it's like saying oil and water can actually mix. It's, it's impossible. And this is what Sam Storm says in the handout. The verse will be on the screen. I will read this quote to you. The Holy Spirit is, after all, omnipresent. This is the answer to that objection. He dwells everywhere. The Holy Spirit and demons are in close proximity when outside the human body, so why would they not be in close proximity while inside one? Finally, the Holy Spirit indwells the Christian, even though the latter still has a sinful nature or sinful flesh. In other words, if the Holy Spirit can inhabit the same body with unholy human sin, why could he not inhabit the same body with an unholy demon? It strikes me that the force of this argument appears to be more emotional than biblical. The idea of the Holy Spirit and a demon living inside a believer is too close, too intimate. The thought of it is emotionally provocative and scandalous. It violates our sense of spiritual propriety. The feeling is that God simply wouldn't allow it. His love for us is too great to let a demonic influence get that far. But we must always keep in mind that the criterion for making a decision on an issue such as this is not what feels proper to us, but what Scripture explicitly asserts. And that's what I, I love about his take on that is, is you know, we say, oh, uh, the Holy Spirit and evil spirits can't inhabit the same place, but the Holy Spirit right now is inhabiting us who are still sinners, and we're still sinning. Like, 
so the, and the Holy Spirit there, if you, might, if you were asking the question of where does demonization fall into a theological framework, demonization falls under the process of sanctification, where the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us is putting our sinful flesh to death. He's making us more and more like Jesus. And, and, and then under that process as well is he's getting rid of the rats that might be in the house that have been feeding on that sin. So deliverance isn't like the end-all, be-all. Like if you're delivered, you're glorified. The devil evaporates in your life. The, the sinful flesh evaporates. No, no, no. no what happens is, is the, the devil's uh, power in your life to influence you diminishes because he's been evicted out of the house and now he's outside the house. You can still be tempted, but what you hear often from people who've gotten delivered uh, from uh, compulsions that had a demonic element was once I got delivered, the temptation went from like a 9.9999999 to a like one, to a one. So it's still there. I still have a simple flesh and, and the devil can still tempt me, but, but the, the, the loudness of his voice, the consistency of his voice is, has diminished now. Um, I'll talk more about that a little bit, okay? Um, objection number four. Objection number four, the immunity objection. Basically, this, uh, this thought is that uh, I can do whatever I want as a follower of Jesus. I can look at all the bad things online I, I want. I can take all the substances in my body that I want, and under no circumstances will the devil get any access to me. And what we've looked at the past two Sundays, and there's a great quote from the handout um, from last week by Sinclair Ferguson. Side note, if you're listening online, I will email you last week's handout and this week's handout. So email me, I'll get you that PDF. Uh, but here's the bottom line. Here's the logic, uh, scripturally and just, and just basic reason, all right? So point number one, Christians are never guaranteed in the scriptures immunity from demonic attack. Point number two, this is all in your handout. If we agree that the threat of attack is real, then we agree that the demonic can have a certain degree of access into a believer's life in order to bring that attack. When we were, my wife and I were in Colorado and we were doing this hike, there was a sign, bear spotted on this trail yesterday. Be alert, be sober-minded. There's bears prowling around, seeking someone to devour. I'm like, all right, we're still going. But then it begs the question, okay, if that threat is real, that's the warning, then, okay, can a bear, since I'm a Christian, can a bear only, like, growl at me and scare me? Oh, he can only growl, he can't bite me. Can he just scratch me? Oh, that's his, that's his only, like, where do we stop? Where do we stop the access point? Oh, he can bite me, but only, like, in the calf when I'm running away. But he can't actually, like, devour me. Right, like, what do you mean? If, 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 like, so, so where do we stop the access point? And then it goes, and then the question, point number three is, well, how much access can the, the demonic have to a believer? And the simple answer is as much access as a Christian allows. I heard someone say a Christian can have whatever they want. A Christian can have whatever they want, as much access as we allow. That's why we shouldn't be fearful, but we need to be alert and sober-minded where we have open doors in our life to demonic access. Like, here's the bottom line. If I were to have uh, call up a non-Christian on stage and a Christian on stage, and I were to give a substance to them, let's call it a liter of vodka. And I'd say, hey, you guys have three minutes to chug this. And then the audacity of the believer say, I'm going to open my mouth, I'm going to bring in this substance into my body. But because the Holy Spirit's inside of me, uh, this person is going to be on the floor giggling, but I'm going to be unaffected. Right? I mean, if you take in a substance as a Christian of alcohol, consuming that, and a non-Christian does, it's going to have the same effect on your body. Why would it not be the same with the spiritual substance? As much access as the believer allows. The more access, point number five, the more access a believer allows, the more influence the enemy has to attack. Just because you've sinned, just because you have an open door, doesn't mean there's a demon there. Okay, so I don't want to freak anyone out. I'll talk about this in a little bit. But we're just saying that you're, we're unprotected. There's, there's a gap in the armor. You're, you're not armored up. And so the bottom line is this, is that the demonic doesn't make us sin. 
No one can ever say that the devil made me do it. That's not how that works. If you don't have a sinful flesh and your will is completely surrendered and melted into the will of God, the devil can't do anything, right? But what happens is we provide the flame with our sinful desires that we are responsible for, and there's the demonic there potentially saying, holding, holding a, a five-gallon bucket of kerosene, saying, hey, can I pour gasoline on that? Yeah, why not? Boom! And then, you know, the next thing you know. But if there's no flame, we start the fire, right? Um, the devil doesn't, and, so, and so, so let me get back to the argument there. The de- what if the devil, what if, what if the devil doesn't just want to tempt us, but his desire is to dwell with us? What if his aim isn't to tempt us? What if his aim is to move in with us? And here's what I'm getting at. If I, if I hate someone and my intent is to destroy their lives and they're on a road trip to glory um, and their hands are on the steering wheel of the car and they can turn left, straight, they, they control the gas pedal, all that stuff, but I, I will probably never be in that seat, but my assignment is to destroy them. Well, the means that I use to destroy them is that person. And so then the question is, the more access I can get and trick them into listening to my voice and validating my voice, then I can get them. And so maybe it starts out with a, all of a sudden a sudden thought. And this is a, a, someone maybe outside that car. The car's driving by. I know the route this person's taking to work. And say, hey, turn over here. And then the music's playing. They're worshiping Jesus. Carry on to where Jesus take the wheel. And they just blind pass, right? Ah, that didn't work. Okay, let me try to get him next. Let me try to get him again. Hey, turn right in the parking lot. Okay, you pull over. Hey, ah. Yeah, here's, let, me, let me entertain this thought. Hey, you're a, let me, I just heard the thought, you're a giant piece of garbage. And you have, you're wrestling with a ton of shame. Hey, let me, pull, let me give way to that thought. Hey, let me roll down the window. Let me, let me talk to that person. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Hey, let me cop in the car with you. We should talk about this like all the time, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, here, let me unlock the doors. Come in. Do you have any friends that you want to, yeah, come on, bring them all in, Right? And I'll just entertain this thought. We'll have a demonic joy ride. And I'll, I still have my hands on the wheel. But the, this is what I'm getting at. Once, that, once they get close, and they get a little bit closer, and they get a little bit closer, and they get a little bit closer, all of a sudden their voice gets louder. And the power to influence you and change the course of your life changes you. They, that's what they do. Someone yelling at you turn left from a Walmart parking lot when you're going 60 miles an hour down Route 50. Nothing's nothing going to happen. Praising Jesus. But if you pull in that parking lot and you're giving them, you know, and you're rolling down your window and like saying, yeah, we should chat about this. And then, they, and then that would be potentially an open door, varying degrees of access. And you giving them more access, then they're in. And once they're in, then all of a sudden, turn left, 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 turn left. All of a sudden, I, I read a book on shame before I got delivered. And a really a well-respected believer doing great work. And one of the things he said was, he tell his clients um, to get a note card out and a pencil, like, a, like they're playing a golf game. And every time they have a thing of shame, just check a, check a note card. Boom, boom, boom. And he shares in his book, he's like, by 10 a.m., there's one guy who filled an entire note card and came into his practice and was like that. And, and I was like, yeah, that's ex- I could feel like, I, before my deliveries, I could feel like 10 of those things. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just, it, those thoughts are, are constant, right? And so not every thought is a demon. Not every thought is the voice of God. Some thoughts are just our own thoughts. But some, we have to have the framework that some thoughts might be demonic. And then the way the demonic uses to destroy us isn't like, you know, blindsiding us and all of a sudden just accidentally, boom, like, oh, I got it. It's like, no, it's the means they use is us to destroy. I hope that makes sense. Um, that's the point. They want to move closer. The, the, the desire isn't just to tempt us, but what if they're trying to get a stronghold to dwell with us so that their influence, the power they have, changes in our lives. Okay, so those are the, the flyover. I got to speed up here. Sorry, church. Uh, the flyover of the objections. Now let's talk about arguments supporting the demonization of Christians. Argument number one is the children's bread argument. 
Uh, we see in Jesus, uh, Jesus in Matthew 15, he has a conversation with a Canaanite, a non-Israelite woman who has a daughter who is demonized. Okay, and um, she is begging Jesus. She's saying, Jesus, would you, I've heard the testimonies. I know what you can do. Would you set my daughter free from demonic oppression? That's the context of this. And this is what Jesus says. And he answered the Canaanite woman. This is, I'm not going to talk about the offense here. Maybe that'll be a sermon for another time. He says, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Wow. What's Jesus saying there? What am I going to highlight? Well, clearly what Jesus is saying there is that she was outside of the covenant people of God. She was outside of the covenant people of God. And then what's the children's bread? It's deliverance. That's what he's saying. He's saying, you want me to cast a, a demon out of your daughter, but, but, but you're, what he's using a, a colloquial conversational term that the, not a conversational, but the, the people of God would used against the Gentiles, that they are dogs. And so that's what he's saying there in in a way. And she goes, and then you see how it all goes. I'm going to not talk about that. I don't have time to mention that. Uh, How it's true, you know. (laughs) Jesus, why did you have to say that? But he said it. Okay, so the children's bread is what I'm getting at. What I believe is pretty clear in Scripture is that the delicious, nutritious, soul-satisfying, life-changing bread that God the Father has baked and provided for his children is deliverance. It's God's gift to his kids. It's God's gift to his kids. So it's for the covenant people of God before it's non-believers. It's for believers. It's those, those children of God before it's those outside the covenant. That's the children's bread argument. Second argument is number two. This is argument supporting the demonization of Christians, the topos argument. Ephesians 4, 20. And by the way, like, if you read the Gospels, Jesus was only casting, outside of this one and the Gerasene demoniac, was only casting demons out of the covenant people of God the Israelites. That's who he's giving deliverance. He's in the synagogue. He's in church with the people of God. Okay. Uh, argument number two, the top-off argument. Uh, Ephesians 4, 26 to 27, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity. That word is topos to the devil. This is what Sam Storm says about this. Clint Arnold points to Paul's use of the term topos, translated foothold or opportunity. He argues that this word is often used in the New Testament for inhabited space. Even more to the point, says Arnold, are passages that illustrate the use of tapos to refer to the inhabiting space of an evil spirit, such as, such as Luke eleven twenty four and Revelation 12, 7 through 8. Thus, he concludes, the most natural way to interpret the use of tapos in Ephesians 4, 27 is the idea of inhabitable space. Hey-o, did you guys catch that? We were on board with that? Two biblical scholars getting into the Greek saying this is the use. It's an inhabitable space where demons like to take up residence is the other use in the New Testament, Okay. Paul is just calling these believers to vigilance and moral purity so they do not relinquish a base of operations to demonic spirits. The third argument is the argument of demonized believers in the New Testament. I have examples there of uh, the daughter of Abraham and Ananias and Sapphira. You can look at that in your handout. Argument number four, that's not in your handout, that I didn't put in your handout because I don't want to base any arguments from experiences. Um, But I would say that if you believe that Christians can't be demonized, you believe that from your lack of experience. So it's your lack of experience that you're taking to the scripture and saying, I haven't seen this. I haven't seen this ever in my Christian life, so therefore it is not true. And you're coming with that framework. Um, and our, my experience, um, well, one, let me tell you my story, is that in 2019, like I've shared before, is that I was your associate pastor. Uh, graduated from a Reformed sem- Theological Seminary. Loved Jesus since I was eight. And uh, I was demonized and got set free. Jesus set me free. Okay, so unless I, when, if you've been here since then, unless you're like, yeah, he totally wasn't a Christian then. Uh, you know, you're saying that, you know, I couldn't have had, so anyways. But secondly, what we see is that if you read any book of, of, of a practitioner, like Sam Storms or Dr. Charles Kraft or 
Dr. John Thompson in Toronto, these guys doing the ministry, they unabashedly claim, like, yeah, like, the majority of our ministry is to Christians. Our deliverance ministry is for Christians. Like, anyone who's actually doing this stuff knows that it's Christians who can be demonized. And then in our limited experience these past two and a half years with our restoration prayer ministry and just this year is all but like a handful these past two and a half years of the hundreds that we have prayed with and who've manifested demons and got them set free were believers. Okay, so um, all right, enough about can Christians be demonized. That's the flyover of that argument. Uh, the next argument, the next point we're going to look at, the next question we're going to answer is how can someone get demonized. And the language I like to use is open doors, is open doors, okay? So if you uh, went to bed last night and forgot to uh, close your sliding glass door on your back porch, does that necessarily mean that a thief came in and took all your stuff? No. That door could be open for like five months, right? And you could be fine. And all of a sudden you realize it's open, that you're unprotected, and you need to shut that, okay? And so the framework that Sam Storms uses uh, for open doors is um, voluntary open doors and involuntary open doors, And so let's talk about voluntary open doors. What this means is that through our sinful thoughts and our actions, we can open up the door to potential demonic access uh, to our lives. And the first one is participation in the occult. This is a surefire way. Uh, This is about as wide open a door uh, that there can be is overt participation in the occult to get demonic influence in your life. Demons can enter a person. This is Charles Craft, who has a book endorsed by J.I. Packer. Um, demons can uh, enter a person by invitation. Conscious invitation happens whenever there is a deliberate involvement with or with worship of God's powers other than the true God. The members of many societies consciously invite demons in when they dedicate their children to their gods and spirits. Those involved in Satanism or witchcraft invite demons in by consciously opening themselves up to demonic invasion. Likewise, those involved in the New Age movement when they invite spirit guides in and when they engage in channeling, Other occult involvements that result in demonization include organizations such as Freemasonry, Christian Science, and Scientology. Attending seances, going to fortune tellers, being involved in table tilting and levitation are also dangerous. Even more innocent-looking activities such as playing with a Ouija board and tarot cards uh, put a person in great danger. And Galatians 5, 19 through 20 talks about the works of the flesh and mentions the word sorcery. And so we're going to slow down. We're going to talk about this last year. In our restoration prayer ministry over Zoom, someone from out of state came to us, a young guy, and in the course of that meeting, a demon manifested, and that demon named itself, and its name was sorcery. And when we pressed this thing for access, the thing said, I almost, I almost was like, hey, no, there's, there's no way. The thing is, how did, you get, how did you get access to this individual? In the name of Jesus, speak what is truthful. And the thing goes, TV. I go, you got to be kidding me. What TV show? Supernatural, right? And now, and now side note. Side note, you might be saying, hey, I don't like the way you do deliverance. Why are you, are you, I'm not holding a conversation with these things. I'm drawing from Jesus, getting the name, finding the access point, getting critical information, and, and, and driving this stuff out. And if you have an issue with how oh, we do deliverance, then please tell me how you do deliverance and help us out when people come to you seeking help. Um, I would love, I would love to learn from others how they're doing it as well. So side note, just side note, whoop, all right, we're back. So this guy goes, and I go, okay, go down, I want to talk to the guy, and I say, hey, man, I couldn't believe it. And I, I couldn't believe it to the extent that I'm like, there's no chance anyone gets a demon from watching Supernatural. And I go, hey, um, have you ever heard of the show Supernatural? Like, like, you, like this thing said he got access. And, and then he kind of has this knowing look. And he goes, yeah, I watched, all, uh, I watched six seasons religiously until the Lord convicted me and told me to stop watching it. So I led him in a prayer of, of repentance for that and drove that thing out. And, uh, and you might be saying, doubting that, okay? 
Okay, come on, give me a break. That's like, that's not HBO or Cinemax. That's like CW, okay? Supernatural. Give me a break. You can't get a demon through that. So true story, this year, this summer, I get feedback from one of our members who went through deliverance, and they were at a coffee shop outside somewhere in Fairfax, and a guy approaches them. He needs money, kind of fell on hard times, and um, through the course of the conversation, this individual, a member at our church, asked him this question, and I love this question. He goes, hey, man, do you think what's behind your addiction might be demonic? Think it might be demonic? And the guy kind of like, it's, you know, is like, ah, I'm not religious. I don't believe in, in all that stuff. And then in the course of the conversation, watch this. The guy goes, well, you know what? Non-Christian, not a believer. He goes, you know what? I had this experience once. I was at home. It was late, and I, I turned on the TV, and I just started watching this TV show. And when I started watching this TV show, this perverse, disgusting presence came over me, and it scared me so much that I immediately turned off the show. What was the show, Nick? Tell us what the show was. Supernatural. Two for two. Two for two, transit family. And the reason I share that is this, is we, my hope with this is that we would we'd leave your armored up and that Jesus would hear the beautiful, the beautiful sound of doors closing that were once opened. Uh, uh, you can look this up. Owl House by Disney. Kids show. Three years. Really high ratings on IMDb from 2020 to 2023. It's, the, it's Chronicles of Narnia, but it's the reverse. This little girl goes into this abandoned house, gets a portal to hell. The good guys are the demons. The bad guy is God. And guess where the writers go? This is on Wikipedia. Guess where the writers go to get their content? They go to primary satanic sources for names, for spells. So all of a sudden, your kid's learning this, and they're doing all the blah, 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 blah. And here's the deal. When you're playing, when you're playing pretend witchcraft, is it's, like, it's like dialing random numbers, and you can just punch in random numbers, but hey, you might be punching in numbers. Somebody might pick up, right? That's how that thing works. And uh, we need to wake up and smell the roses and clean and consecrate ourselves with ways that we're opening ourselves up to demonic access. And uh, uh, like what we're seeing in deliver- two for two on that show, Supernatural, written by demons, written for demons. And you need to ask yourself, who wrote this? Who inspired this? And who would enjoy watching this, the Holy Spirit or evil spirits, okay? Secondly, so that's an open door, is participation in the occult. Secondly, is unrepentant sin. All of us, like, no-brainer. Like, if, if, there's, if the Holy Spirit has consistently uh, uh, convicted you and, and, and tried to lead you in repentance and saying, instead of turning left, turn right, turn right, turn right, and you say, no, I'm going left, I'm going left, I'm going left, then that's an open door for more demonic access in your life. And so, of course, we know the taboo sins um, where we kind of nod our heads in agreement that, of course, you can get a demon through, you know, that kind of addiction or that kind of perversion or that violent behavior. But also we see that open doors can just be unrepentant sin of, of the non-taboo sins of, of a big one that we see that's kind of tolerated in the church is not forgiving people who have wronged you. Of resentment and anger and vitriol that the forgiven of God are refusing to extend that forgiveness to others. That's an open door. And that's one of the major things we press into in restoration prayer is forgiving, releasing forgiveness of those who have wronged you. Pride, lust, envy, greed, so on and so forth. Uh, ungodly beliefs is another uh, entry point of where you just partner with the devil of what he speaks over your life, the accuser, that I am a blah, blah, blah. It's not I'm a beloved child of God, that I'm forgiven, I am cleansed, I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. It is no, you are, the, you are this, 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 and this, right? And what that is is when we come into agreement with that, we're kind of shaking hands. It's like a, it's like a written agreement with the devil. Hey, like, I agree with you, devil. I don't agree with Jesus, what he says. Satan is the father of lies, and he's speaking this, so let me agree with this. And spiritual warfare, for a lot of us, hopefully today, will look like just coming out of agreement with the lies that you're agreeing with over your identity as a child of God. 
Just Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, read that, claim that. That is your core identity. I belong to Jesus. I am cleansed. I am forgiven. Um, I'm going to spend eternity with him, okay? And what the devil does, there's a great quote on shame there by Sam Storms, is he comes and he tries to just beat us over the head with thoughts of shame. There's other uh, open doors in regards to sin, but those are kind of the main ones. And, uh, you know, we wear, we wear the what would Jesus do bracelets, but a helpful mindset for us when we talk about sin is, is how would the devil want me to view, like you, this is how you can maybe identify a stronghold, is how would the devil want me to view my money? How would the devil want me to view my future? Talk about anxiety. How would the devil want me to view that person that wronged me, that person that I'm in conflict with? How would the devil, how would Jesus want me to? Now, how would the devil want me to? Jesus is saying, forgive. Jesus is saying, trust. Jesus is saying, be generous. And the devil is saying, you, you white-knuckle your money. You hate that person, and, and you go the opposite way, okay? So that's a helpful framework that uh, came from a conversation I had with someone uh, earlier today before the service started. I have a couple testimonies. I might come back to these, uh, but um, we have 10 minutes, okay? So um, i got to find a way to share these testimonies while also giving this information. Um, so secondly, we talked about voluntary open doors. These are things that we do where we open the door, but also what we see from the scriptures is that there are involuntary open doors. This means that somebody else can open the door for you in your generational line. And we just call this, there's a lot of things that we can call it. It's just basically generational garbage that flows from the ancestors down the line. Uh, generational curses, generational spirits. We all agree that in the physical realm that we can inherit generational wealth, uh, prosperity, um, or we can inherit generational brokenness and generational uh, poverty. And it, it's the same in the spiritual realm. Um, this is where a lot of people get tripped up, and this is something where I just encourage you to, to wrestle with this, to study this. There's a, a lot in the Old Testament uh, about this that I just don't have time to share, but I felt like the most convincing argument for this was from Sam Storm's book from Mark 9. And in Mark chapter 9, there is a guy, uh, an Israelite, who goes to Jesus who has a boy that's demonized, and this boy is heavily demonized, and this boy is so demonized that he will, like, throw himself into bonfires, and it's dangerous, and the, parent, the dad's crying out to Jesus to, to set him free. And Jesus, the son of God, asks a question in this narrative. And he goes, how long has this been happening? Right? Why would Jesus ask that question? Why does Jesus need to know that information? I think maybe, we, could, we don't know in the text, but maybe Jesus is trying to figure out what was the entry point? What was the access point? And then the guy says, from childhood. And so then, okay, and then this is what Sam Storm says about that. How long has this been happening to him? He answers, from childhood. It would be evasive to think that this refers to anything other than the boy's infancy, in these two instances, a serious case of demonization, the two instances, the Gentile woman I mentioned earlier, had occurred in someone who was clearly too young to have done anything willfully or unrepentantly to warrant demonic attack. Surely neither was demonized for having spilled his or her milk. Nevertheless, for some reason, that is not explicitly stated, both the young girl and boy had become demonized. How could this have happened? Are these not two undeniable instances of what we might call involuntary demonization? If so, we must determine how the demon gained access to their lives. The mother in Mark 7 was a Gentile, an indication that she was raised in a culture given to idolatrous practices. In each case, we might suppose, for example, that the boy's grandfather or the girl's grandmother was demonized as a result of their involvement in idolatry or sexual perversion. And when this grandfather or grandmother dies, these are conversations we have to have, where, what happens to the demon? Where does it go? Is it possible that the demon might assert a, a claim, so to speak, to this individual's posterity? We can't be dogmatic, as the text is silent, concerning the cause of demonization, but some transmission of a demonic spirit embedded in the family line is as cogent an explanation 
as any. And to be honest, you talk to practitioners in deliverance ministry, every single one of them sees this. And one of the primary things that we see for people who come to us uh, that are demonized, it's generational. It's generational. We see this common pattern. They're there. They're the ones in the car already driving people to certain behavior. And um, I wish it wasn't the case. I'm going to read a long quote by John Mark Comer. John Mark Comer is the author of The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. He's a well-respected author and Christian and pastor, and he wrote the foreword to this book by John Thompson, who's a deliverance minister in Toronto, a highly educated master's and doctor of ministry, John Thompson. And in this foreword, John Mark Comer shares, actually, you, I don't have time, you read it. It's in your handout, you read it. John Mark Comer shares that his wife, for 30 years, struggled with a chronic illness that she could not get free from, and it was going to take her life. They threw thousands of dollars at it, explored various treatments of it, and she couldn't get set free. Finally, their last shot was, hey, you know what? Let's call my friend John. We don't really necessarily know what to do with all this demonization stuff. They did research and a, and a shaman in, in her bloodline. Four generations back, they, they did their research, cursed every firstborn daughter in the line with chronic illness. And they did the math, and every firstborn daughter in her line four generations back had a chronic illness or died early. And then the proof is in the fruit. Okay, maybe that means nothing. Maybe nothing happened. They go, she gets deliverance. He shares in the testimony how she was manifesting, shaking and baking in that thing. Once that thing got broken off of her and left, the illness completely left her. Completely left. That's John Mark Comer. I, I about hit the floor. I didn't know JMC was charismatic. And that his wife got deliverance from a generational curse. Someone invoking supernatural force through the occult and power to bring illness and sickness. And so here's what we're going to do before we get to our last point. One, this shouldn't terrify you and freak you out. I'm not saying everyone go figure out who your ancestors are and all the weird, freaky stuff they did, okay? Like, I'm not telling you to do that. One, just ask God, hey, God, if there's anything generational in my life that you want to clean up and restore, Holy Spirit, I go to you first. Would you restore that? Would you highlight that? Would you show me that? There's something that I'm getting tripped up in, I'm constantly tripping up in. Could you just show me the root of that? And then secondly, if you know empirically that you had ancestors into the occult, into the new age, into Santeria, into Freemasonry, I, I would be remiss and I would be guilty of malpractice if I don't say, you should probably come. There might be nothing to that, but there might be something to that. Come schedule an appointment with us, is what I would say, okay? But ask the Holy Spirit, maybe from this, maybe start a conversation and see. Um, uh, but most importantly, talk to the Lord. The Lord knows what you need. Um, and, uh, but, but this is a thing. I wish, I wish this wasn't a thing. I've wrestled with God this year with this. And I'm saying, how is this the thing? How does this make sense, right? So I'm still wrestling with this. But we can't deny the fact that last week, all three testimonies, my testimony, Heather's testimony, and Holly's testimony, was all generational. We got set free from generational involvement with Freemasons. My, I didn't share the details of mine, but it was Freemasonry as well, okay? So that's unfortunately a thing. I, don't, I wish it wasn't true, but I don't base my beliefs on what I wish to be true, but on what Scripture teaches. And we see this pattern. Just study the kingdom of Israel. David sinned. Solomon sinned, the prophet Nathan, saying the, the curse comes through the generations. And by the way, if you're here <laughs> and you're a Christian who has orthodox, we all believe in generational sin being passed down because we've all inherited Adam's, Adam's sin. We all believe in it, right? Like, oh, I don't believe in generational, okay? Like, so what's, what, what do you believe what happened with Adam? Like, we're sinners by nature. We're born into sin and we're sinners by choice. And we inherited generational destruction through one man's sin. So all of us believe in generational Curse, we've inherited. Like, none of us comes out of glory. Like, it comes out of the womb, like, spotless. No, we, that's generational brokenness. Adam's sin, right? Okay. 
Um, last point, and I'll be, I'll be quicker with this. We still got time to be quicker with this one. Is, okay, if you are demonized, how do you get set free? And so, um, you know, the argument might be from people who, you know, really uh, just want to rip into deliverance online or other pastors who haven't uh, been face-to-face with someone who's, who's flared up on them or whatever would just, be, would just say essentially that we shouldn't be doing this and... Um, <laughs> Someone in our church heard recently that people who practice this should be uh, under church discipline and they're heretics. Uh, and uh, so that's where the language is at, right? And I'm, and I'm just asking, what Bible are you reading, right? I don't understand how you get from that. What Bible are you reading? And so um, God can sovereignly deliver whoever he wants, whenever he wants, right? So uh, if you're demonized and you're asking God, you're crying out, you're praying the Lord's Prayer, Father, deliver us from the evil one. Deliverance is in the Lord's Prayer. And you're praying, God could... God could just, as you're sleeping, Holy Spirit come upon you, he could do it, he's sovereign, right? He could, he could heal you of your physical ailment right when you're sleeping. God could uh, uh, save your lost neighbors. Jesus could walk in and appear like Saul on the road to Damascus and, and, and do that. So, so we could get a get out of free evangelism card because God's sovereign and he can save the heathen when he wants, right? So God can do a lot of things sovereignly, but scripturally we never punt to God's sovereignty as an excuse to not do what he's clearly called us and commissioned us to do, right? And so we can't do that. So the biblical tradition that I showed last week entrusted to us was this, is this. Demons leave the demonized as followers of Jesus using his entrusted power and authority command those demons to leave. That's how that works. 12 to 72, I give you my power and my authority. I authorize you that you can do this. This is, I'm authorizing you and I'm giving you the power of the spirit that's necessary to drive out demonic forces, okay? Um, A helpful framework that I've used, uh, I used last week and the week before that, is rats and garbage, is rats and garbage in a house. If you have rats in your house, um, there's a way that those rats got in, and there's something that's keeping them in. There's something that they're, they're feeding on. And so a helpful framework for deliverance, and then I'll conclude, is this. Here's a simple, it's in your handout. It's not going to be on the screen. A simple framework for understanding the deliverance process. This is a simple framework of four steps. And let me tell you this. It is simple, but it is a thousand times more complex than this. The second you begin to, to, to the Lord invites you into something you never wanted, never asked for, never thought you'd be doing as a pastor, and all of a sudden, all these people who are bound are, are flaring up in these meetings, and you find it's, it's really complicated, but it's also kind of this simple, okay? So one, you either got rats in the house or you don't. You either got them or you don't. You either got demons or you don't, Okay? Um, so if you come for prayer and nothing happens, praise God, there's nothing there, okay? Um, and nothing happened in regards to deliverance. There's probably a lot of inner healing that the Lord wants to do for all of us. Secondly, if rats, if you have rats in the house, there's some way they got in. There's an open door, and there's something that's keeping them in. Thankfully, there is no entry point that can't be closed and garbage that Jesus can't clean. Amen, right? Like, hallelujah. Like, if he highlights a, a sin, you, we can repent. We can turn from that. We can close that door. Jesus can, can do that. And four, once the entry points are closed and the garbage cleaned up, the demons will leave upon command um, in a perfect situation, in a, in a good situation, in a good meeting, right? Um, and so that's kind of your, your framework there of how this works, okay? And so where do we go, where do we go from here? Um, I was, Band, you can come on up, and I, I'm not going to keep you up here for an hour. I'm closing up. Um, is, I was praying last night. I couldn't get to bed. And I was praying, I was worshiping the Lord, and I, uh, I was saying, you know, as someone who uh, knows how much suffering comes through being demonized and how much freedom came when King Jesus set me free, and I was saying, God, thank you 
for the children's bread. Thank you that there came a moment, Jesus, where you said in Mark 1 that the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. And you told the devil, the party's over. Get your filthy hands off my people. And you set us free. I said, God, thank you for the children's bread. And then I felt the Spirit tell me, uh, highlight this verse to me, John 6, that I want to read with you. And what I want to highlight is this, is that deliverance isn't found in a prayer ministry. Deliverance isn't found in a process. Deliverance is found in a person. And the bread that the Father gave for us to nourish our souls, to bring healing, to bring life, to bring freedom, to bring salvation is the bread of life, Jesus Christ himself. And the invitation today with communion is to feast on the bread of life, to open up our mouths and take in the sustaining, healing uh, work of Christ as the bread of life to us, that we don't have to live life starving. We don't have to live life emaciated, that God in his goodness to us has provided for all of our spiritual needs and all of our spiritual needs or we don't put our trust in a prayer. We don't put our trust in a, in a process. We put ourselves, we put our trust in the person of Jesus Christ who says this in John 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you, that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. I love that invitation of Jesus. Everyone, there's no exceptions. Everyone who fixes their gaze off of themselves, off of their sin, off of their demons, but they look to Jesus as their hope, look to Jesus as their savior, look to Jesus as their deliverer. Jesus promises they will have eternal life. So that's what we celebrate today with communion is that we know Jesus. He's provided for us. He's our sustainer. He's our deliverer. He's our healer. And he said on the night that he was betrayed, when he instituted the Lord's Supper with his disciples, he said, take this bread, which represents my body broken for you. And drink this wine, which is gonna represent my blood shed for you. And so the hope today as we look to this meal and look to Jesus is that our deliverance, our salvation, our healing, if we're suffering physically, is secure in Jesus. It is guaranteed because Jesus uh, purchased that for us. It is coming. And we, our prayer is, in our affliction, is, Lord, uh, let your kingdom come. But until then, I will open up my mouth and say, in the midst of my suffering, that you are my sustainer. You are the bread of life. And I will continue to get my sustenance off of my fellowship with you. That you've laid your life on the altar so I could taste and see of your goodness. And so let's do that today. Fellowship with the Lord uh, before you take uh, communion. And then we will close with a couple worship songs.